Hi, I'm Dave Miranda, General Counsel and Past President of the New York State Bar Association. Welcome to Miranda Warnings. You have the right to remain listening. Welcome to a special edition of Miranda Warnings. Today we're going to discuss the New York State Court of Appeals, New York's highest court. Earlier this month, Chief Judge Janet DeFiore announced that she was stepping down from her post at the end of August. Today, we're going to discuss the process to name her replacement, uh, as well as the future makeup and direction of the court. We're very pleased to have with us to talk about the Court of Appeals, Liz Benjamin, Managing Director at Marathon Strategies, a public relations and communications firm, and former host of Capital Tonight, a political and policy show focusing on New York State politics. Welcome, Liz. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Liz. And we also have Professor Vint Von Ventry, distinguished professor of law at Albany Law School and author of The New York Court Watcher, devoted to commenting on the Supreme Court of the United States and the New York Court of Appeals. Uh, welcome, Vin. Hey, this is a treat for me to be with you and Liz, David. It's great to have you both. Uh, back on Miranda warnings to talk about the New York Court of Appeals this is a terribly important issue. Uh, we have, uh, you know, the, the legal world in New York has certainly was taken by surprise when uh, Chief Judge Dan Janet DeFury announced her resignation, which is uh, intended to take place at the end of August. Mm. Uh, it comes at a time when the court seems to be divided internally. Is that just a, a public perception or is there a real division today uh, in our Court of Appeals? You know, I before, well, first of all, Vin is probably better placed to answer that question, but I do want to ask also and sort of postulate, which I think sort of dovetails into that question. I mean, the, the, not only was it a surprise when the chief judge announced her resignation, but it was a surprise when she unveiled the redistricting decision, which people thought was antithetical to her political bait, you know, to, to protecting herself politically. And now in sort of as a Monday morning quarterbacking, after she announced her resignation, people wondered if she was signaling her intent to depart. And I wondered if, if there was background or scuttlebutt on how the court handled that particular case and if it paved the way for additional disagreements internally. Well, yeah, I want to, I mean, we should talk about that because that's obviously front and center. Uh, you're talking about the redistricting case, which came down uh, earlier this year. It was a, a very divided decision uh, amongst the court, striking down New York's redistricting maps that were uh, adopted by the legislature. The case was Harkin Ryder v. Hochul, it sent shockwaves throughout uh, New York State uh, politics because the uh, legislature now had to uh, redo the whole uh, uh, district thing that they were involved in. It, it set back the, the primaries uh, for voting, uh, terribly uh, disruptive to the to the process. And I mean, we could talk about the rationale behind behind it, but just the politics of it uh, had a tremendous impact so that now uh, the politicians are taking a much closer look at at the court. And so I think the question you're asking is, did is is this resignation a result of the ramifications of that decision? Or yeah. is this perhaps something that was known before? 
and uh, you know the court decided we'll we'll do what we just think is best. Vin, you you've, you're a great court of appeals prognosticator. Uh, what do you think? Well, I think the Harkin Ryder decision actually was one of those decisions which was very publicly appealing. I mean, there was so much criticism of what the Democratic legislature had done. Mm -hmm. I think the court would have come under pretty severe criticism by the public and by the media if they hadn't thrown out, if they hadn't thrown out what the Democrats had done. On the other hand, I mean, as a legalistic matter, I think that the majority opinion is pretty darn weak. I mean, the majority opinion, by and large, said, you know, there are firm findings that, you know, the gerrymandering was done on a partisan basis. And uh, that seemed to be pretty contrary to the standard of proof that both the majority at the Court of Appeals and the dissenters at the Court of Appeals said was required to overturn the redistricting by the legislature. The standard was proof beyond a reasonable doubt that it violated the Constitution. Yeah, and but as the dissenters said, um, where do you get this beyond proof beyond a reasonable doubt? And all the majority said was, oh, we don't have to determine whether there was proof beyond a reasonable doubt. All we have to do is say, well, could some rational human being at the trial level? So you find some rational human on the planet to think that the case was proven, and that's the end of it for the Court of Appeals. So that was, that was actually a major division in the case. So did that indicate, in other words, like back to sort of the original question that David asked that we just read off the rip, sort of extrapolated away from, which was my fault entirely. But anyway, sorry. So the, I guess did that foreshadow or, or demonstrate significant division on the court such that the chief judge was like, I don't want to do this anymore. You guys are all like divided. Forget it. I mean, similar. I know we're not talking about this right now, but similar to the Roberts situation where he is completely lost control of his own court as a chief judge. Did that indicate that our soon to be former chief judge was just tired of the division, didn't want to do it anymore? Or was it really this ethics thing that's hanging over her head, you know, or did she really want to go and do something else at the age of 66, 67? It was just time to hang it up. Well, it seems like she has control of the court, right? Because the redistricting opinion, uh, Harkin Ryder was written by her. She had a majority. Uh, so she had control of the court. The question was, uh, you know, is, is it the ramifications of that uh, decision where, uh, they found the where they struck down the redistricting, uh, the ramifications of that was that the impetus for her to to or maybe say, it was I've too hard enough. fought and she like had to expend too much capital to get that done. Well, yeah, and remember, I mean, she got a majority, but I mean, there were three very very strong dissents in that case, and actually, I'm not sure that the result in that case is going to withstand review by the United States Supreme Court, because not only did uh, DeFiori for the majority invalidate the Democratic legislature's redistricting, but then instead of sending it back 
to the legislature for instructions. Mm. She sent it back to the trial judge for the trial judge with the help of a fact-finding magistrate to redraw the map. And I'm pretty sure at the United States Supreme Court, there are at least four and probably at least five votes to say, no, judges aren't supposed to be doing this under the Constitution. It's up to the state legislatures. Now, if you want to give them instructions, you can do that. But redistricting is not for trial judges. It's not for the judiciary. Let me ask you, Vin, what's the issue that's going to the Supreme Court here? Because this uh, Court of Appeals was interpreting the New York State Constitution. It doesn't make any difference because the federal constitution, right, which, of course, is supreme, the federal constitution says that time, place, and manner of federal elections is up to the state legislatures. And the question coming before the court this fall is the validity of these state courts in different states, right? Not just New York, but in different states taking over the redistricting and redrawing the maps themselves, as opposed to sending it back to the state legislatures. Again, there is four solid votes to say that the state courts shouldn't have any say on this matter whatsoever. So I'm pretty sure that sending it back to the trial court, as opposed to the legislature, that's going to be invalidated by the Supreme Court. Has there been has there been an appeal of this case? Not of this this case. All right. But I'm not I wouldn't be surprised if there would be. There's an appeal right now from the North Carolina courts, the North Carolina courts. They threw out the redistricting by yeah, their I understand, but the North Carolina court wasn't interpreting the New York State Constitution, and that seems no. to be the, the end of the line. No, 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 for- but the North Carolina court was saying under the North Carolina Constitution, what the North Carolina cons- uh, legislature has done was invalid. But again, the question is whether or not state courts or even federal courts are allowed to redraw these maps as opposed to what the federal constitution seems to mandate is that this is to be done by the state legislatures, period. If there was a different chief judge, do you think that the outcome would have been different? Yes, because I think that what the chief judge did in this case was actually the easy road. She basically said, all we are doing is just affirming what the courts below had ruled. That's easy. You know, that's what court of appeals, high courts do when they really don't want to delve into the difficult issues. They say, look, there are fact findings below. And all we're saying is it's not totally irrational, period. So because the reason I ask is because now you have this governor. I mean, look, the the court is incredibly political. All all, all court appointments, as we know, are incredibly political. Of course. So you now have a governor who has the opportunity to reshape the court in a manner, DeFiori was seen as a Cuomo appointee and a Cuomo confidant, ostensibly, right? right? And also a former Republican. So you have a lot of uh, folks now who are rattling the governor's cage and saying, you need to change the nature of this court. Yes. And this is an important appointment. Oh, and you could elevate somebody who's already on the court and get two bites of the apple. That's right. And And then subsequently, create a court that would be more friendly to you and your causes, potentially, and us and our causes, because the people who are asking for this are progressives. Right, that's true. But I think the lawyers who are complaining bitterly 
about the current court. And it's not just the progressives. It's not just the real liberals. It's not just criminal defense lawyers. It's lawyers who can't get their cases to the court because they're hardly hearing any cases. Right. They're hardly hearing any cases. I mean, they've reduced their caseload um, to one third of what it had been when Lippmann was chief. How much money do they make again? I don't, I don't know, but you know, um, some little birdies from within the court have been saying to me, we got all the time in the world. We don't know what to do with our time. Maybe yeah. that's why they're writing 70 page dissents. They just don't have that much time, right? Yeah. I mean, they, they have too much time and they don't have that many cases to decide. Right. When and, they, and that's a question of what the court decides to hear. It's not because people aren't appealing up to the court. There's opportunities. For no, them no, no, cases. no. There are thousands of applications for right. to appeal and the court's hardly hearing any of them. So this will I mean, here's the problem. The timing of this, um, you know, that the, the chief judge in the middle of a of a gubernatorial race says, I'm done, because yes. it really puts the governor in a not great position, though it's certainly the, the uh, process can be slow rolled until after the general election, which, of course, is in November. But uh, and that is, you know, there has to be uh, the selection, there has to be the commission, there has to be all of this stuff that people put their names. Well, in. let's talk about the process, then. I mean, it's not going to be slow rolled. I mean, this is for the this is for the chief judge of the, the New York's court system. Uh, not just the Court of Appeals, we should point out, right? This is the court system has 15,000 uh, non-judicial staff. It's got uh, 1,200 judges that the chief judge oversees. Um, it's got a budget of, you know, two and a half billion dollars. Which so, is not how other states run it. Is that right, David? To have the chief know, judge responsible for running the entire court system. Is that how other states? In, in many states, yeah. that is exactly it is. Okay. what it is. Yeah. So exactly it's an administrative it position as well as a judicial position. Right. It's not just it's not just corralling the, you know, the other six judges on, on the bench. Uh, there's this massive administrative That's function. Right. And so, you know, whatever time is taken to make the selection process as as, uh, as good as it can possibly be is certainly worthwhile. And we but can isn't, just to be clear, isn't that what Marx does? I mean, don't you have, isn't that what Lippmann did for the former chief judge? I mean, isn't that what you have a number two for? It's not like the chief judge is solely responsible for running OCA. But the, I mean, the responsibility lies with the chief judge. Uh, there are, I mean, obviously not done by one person, right? So right. uh, and the chief judge obviously is the one that gives the marching orders right. unless, you know, the chief judge that says, I don't care about the judiciary judicial branch at all. You know, uh, chief administrative judge, you do whatever the heck you want. Uh, I don't think we've ever had a chief judge that has done David, that. How can you say it's not it's not possible to slow roll it? The reality is, is there a formal timeline that says I didn't say it's not possible. It's it's just it's not. No, actually, it is because there are statutory limitations on the review process. Right. So once the notice goes to the state uh, commission that uh, decides on the seven uh, uh, names to send to the governor, which hasn't happened yet, has not happened yet. Uh, the state commission from that point, from that triggering date, has 120 days right. to, to send seven names to, to the governor. It's going and, past November is what it, I'm saying. Well, it's, well 120 even, days would be in October, right? No, 120 October. days puts us right now into the middle of November. 
right. uh, uh, even if it was uh, to go today. So that puts us well, past- like 120 days. I mean, am I crazy? July, August, September, October. No, November, middle of November. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Somebody get their calculator out. I, <laughs> the point but of the, the matter the is, commi- that is- The commission has received the official notification. The commission now has 120 days. The governor then has 30 days. He can't make the choice within the first 15. He's got to make the choice within the second 15. Or they. Or she. Yes. We're very very progressive here. Yes. The the, the point is, though, that this is, um, you know, there's more attention being paid to this than there might usually be because of the abrupt nature of her resignation, because of the fact that we're in the middle of a gubernatorial. Now, the Republican candidate Lee Zeldin, a Long Island congressman, has not made an issue of this to my knowledge. I've not seen it of late. But like I said, the progressives who have not been entirely thrilled with Kathy Hochul, I mean, this goes back all the way to when she was clerk, Erie County clerk, and you know, she was against the so-called green light legislation that Elliot Spitzer was putting forward that gave undocumented individuals the ability to get a driver's license. She's certainly evolved considerably since then, but she was once upon a time, the darling of the NRA, and now come, she's made an about face signed incredibly, you know, gun gun control legislation has been endorsed by the Brady Pack. So certainly anyone can evolve. Um, but the, the direction in which she decides to take the court is a pretty, you know, significant matter for people who are paying attention. It is a significant matter, and we should we should talk about that. But I should point out it's likely not to be a huge issue in the election because this process, despite Vin's faulty math, is, is not going to. It's one hundred twenty days. It's it's yes, yeah, one hundred twenty days. That's four months. Oh my, and, you know. Okay. So, yeah, I'm an idiot. Okay, I was thinking it was three months. You're absolutely right. right. So yeah, so it's uh, it's going to be. She's not going to have to even. How? Oh my. The governor is not going to have to make a, a a choice until after the election. It's not even. She's not going even going to be able to make a choice, even if she wanted to, until after the election. Yeah, now, but look, consider this, David. If she loses, which is not, you know, we we assume, like, given everything, the way that the state is right now, it's unlikely, but not outside entirely the realm of possibility because stranger things have happened. Donald Trump was elected president, for example. I mean, that happened, right? So people thought it wasn't possible. Things are possible. So let's assume that she, um, you know, in a different universe, she loses. Uh, She can then subsequently make an appointment and stick the next governor who would be a Republican and a fairly conservative Trump supporter with a very, very progressive court. Well, I I don't think... I don't think the one the one selection of a judge is gonna is gonna make if this she elevates a, a very, she, she very elevates Troutman, which people have talked about, and then she gets another pick, then she gets two progressives for the price of one. Well, Troutman's already on the court, right? So you're I know, only really adding one is, person to the court. But you number elevate one and number one two, we, we have one governor power. at a time, right? So she's a, <laughs> uh, she's entitled to make that appointment. That's true. We only do have one governor at a time. Right? Thank goodness. But yeah. but if if the list is presented to the governor uh, before the election, right? I think it will be an issue, not just for the progressives, it will be an issue for the Republicans because they are going to raise the specter of this terribly liberal court in the midst of this law and order rise in crime situation that we have going on. You know, we've seen it go, you know, Pataki did this to his advantage. Uh, years ago, where he called the Court of Appeals the most liberal court 
in the country, even more liberal than the Supreme Court. Well, the teller of the Hun is more liberal than the United States Supreme Court. But, you know, he said that and it stuck. And lots of people bought that, you know, and then the Court of Appeals, by and large, pulled, you know, uh, pulled its punches for a few years after he did that. So I think the Republicans could make a big issue out of this if they think they have the fodder to claim that Governor Hochul yeah. is putting liberals on the court who care more, care more about the criminals than the victims. That's yeah, with the exception of the, you know, the criminal aspects, which do go before the court, there's not a ton of the kind of social issues that you see going to the Supreme Court of the United States, right? Yeah, I mean, we're talking about CPLR, we're talking about Labor Law 240, uh, right? We're not seeing the kind of controversial, I mean, important issues, uh, no doubt, but not the kind of controversial social issues that we see every day at the Supreme Court. Which is also, I mean, look, I'm not privy to the nature of the 1,000 and some odd or however many cases come before the Court of Appeals. Um, I did talk to somebody the other day who told me that the first thing that they would do if they were elected governor was push forward a, rec a resolution to change the Court of Appeals to Supreme Court in New York because it's just too damn confusing and no one can figure it out. Oh, yeah. The, the, it's the very confusing. Ridiculous. I, but, but the point, but the real thing is, I don't know, you know, I don't know what kind of the social uh, policy nature of the cases that come before the court that they reject. Well, well, first of all, don't forget it. It was just a few years ago where the court ruled that you know same-sex partners yeah. even had standing, right, uh, to seek custody, partial custody. So you know these issues will arise, and just because New York State, you know, has a law. Um, a lot authorizing, you know, the, the right to choose. That doesn't mean there might be, might not be all kinds of issues with regard to abortion and same-sex marriage, you know, arising before the court. Yeah, but let, I mean, let's to. be let's be clear here, right? So we're saying, oh, we have a, a a divided court, but I would I would go so far as to say even the most conservative judge in the Court of Appeals would be considered. At, at most a moderate and perhaps even be on, considered on the liberal side of the Supreme Court. So- uh, No, I think, I, think you're, I think you're right about that. I don't think there's anybody on the New York Court of Appeals who is anything like a Thomas or a Gorsuch or an Alito, no. Well, who would it would be? Garcia would be the most conservative person there. I'm right? sorry? Who's the most conservative person on the Court of Appeals, Garcia? Yeah, Michael Garcia, sure. Right. And he's no, not yeah, he, he to would be a, if he was on the Supreme Court, he would be to, to the left of the middle, except in criminal cases. I, I, I think in criminal cases, he basically would be the same as the most conservative members of the court. So mm -hmm. let me go back to the question I asked you initially. Is is this a, is this a <laughs> you mean before court? Liz threw us off? Yeah, the track? I, mean, I did. It, I did. Thank you, Vin. Yes, I did. The, this, Go ahead, David. Is it I'm divided? So is it a divided court? Is that just? Uh, yes. Is no, that just? Well, wait, uh, hold on. Just to be clear, and I'm sorry. I know I'm not supposed to do this. I'm going to do it anyway. Right now, they are divided over who's going to lead them because they're deadlocked over who's going to be the interim chief judge. As of the day that we are having this conversation, there is no acting person to replace Janet DeFiori because she can't vote to break the tie. So well, just think. Uh, if they did, if the court were to follow tradition, they would be choosing 
the senior most judge on the court, which would be Judge Jenny Rivera, I don't think you can get a majority. Wait, hold on. Is, if chief. I remember correctly, has been in the news because she was under fire for not being vaccinated. That's right. I don't think the Holko administration would want that. That's not a good look. Well, so the acting chief, uh, until there is a decision on who the chief is, that's decided by the the, the commission by and the then the governor. No, the acting chief is decided by the judges of the court. Right. What yeah. happens if there isn't one? Because to Vin's point, like, where are they in the cycle right now? I mean, they're obviously not doing anything because they don't have a chief judge. Well, at this point, they're usually on break, usually right. on break. That was one of the great things about working at the Court of Appeals, because once business was finished in July, you were off then for several weeks until the middle of August when you heard election cases. So they're basically off right now. Right. I mean, I'm not suggesting it doesn't matter that they can't, you know, break their own stalemate and figure out who they'd like to lead them from. But they still need an acting chief for all the administrative, um, administrative matters about, with the right. judiciary. Right. right. So you so have Jenny is, Rivera. I don't think there's any way they're going to choose the majority is yeah. going to choose her. No. Then you have um, you have Rowan Wilson. Right. Who would certainly be my pick to be the next chief. And I mean, the man is brilliant. And uh, but he's probably too liberal for a majority of the court. Right? So the other question is then, I mean, the names that get put forward, one puts forward oneself. Is that correct? That's how this works. You put your name. So in now we're talking about the the, the, yeah. the full time chief judge of the court, not the acting chief. Well, yes. The reason why I submit asked to the commission. Right. You submit to the commission, which. Uh, conducts uh, reviews and background checks and interviews. And then the commission makes a recommendation of seven names to go to the to the governor. And then the governor has to pick from one of those seven. So the reason I ask is because remember, so for a while there, and I don't know that this exists anymore, but there was like a, this is like Eugene Pickett. This is a Western New York seat. This is the woman seat. This is the African-American seat. Like it used to be viewed as, you know, certain constituencies had claim to certain right. seats on the court. I don't think that exists anymore. Well, I don't know. It what sure seat does, the, yeah. what seat so does, does Janet DeFiore have? The Westchester, formerly DA, formerly Republican seat? The, I the mean, Andrew there, Cuomo favorite seat. There isn't, there isn't any, there really isn't anything there with regard to that. But look, Governor Hochul can make history. She could appoint the first African-American chief judge of the New York Court of Appeals, yeah. right? If she puts Troutman, the first black woman chief judge of, New I said the New York Court of Appeals, but it's really the chief judge of New York State. Right. And if she either makes history by elevating Troutman or Wilson, then she gets to fill that vacancy. And what would she? What would? What is missing from the court right now? <laughs> that that's a whole different conversation. What is missing from the court is a certain sort of gravitas and seriousness and academic um, rigor. I think that we've had discussions. I well, know, it's it's you, not, you know had. it's not a great court. We've got no, a couple of pretty strong judges, but other than that, it's. I mean, I don't think anybody who. Uh, observes state courts around the country would list the New York Court of Appeals as one of the top 10 or even top 20 state courts in the country. It's not a strong court right now, which was exactly the opposite of what happened when Lipman was chief. Chief justices from around the country used to tell me, 
We're now following the Court of Appeals again. This is really a strong court now. Um, I don't think anybody would accuse the court of that right now. Yeah, so the question is like, what constituency do we think if she was to make this pre-November or to, to tip her hand or to indicate a preference, I think she would probably want to go, well, this, pro this is a problem because there's a couple of constituencies that you would think that she would want to assuage. The progressives, like the Hoylmans of the world are like, you know, raising the alarm about, you know, well, DeFiori was a former Republican and we, this is an opportunity and we need to bring the court further to the progressive side of things, the left, the liberal side, whatever you say. And then, then on the other side, you're seeing now she's facing a general election with a restive electorate mm -hmm. in, uh, particularly in suburban areas, but also in New York City, where Eric Adams is yelling about, you know, public safety, public safety, and people are getting attacked all left and right on the subway or what have you. Um, and then there's a certain subset of folks who are focused on Alvin Bragg, the DA, saying he's soft on crime and wanting to remove him, which isn't even actually really legally possible. But so the question would be, would she be trying, what constituency would she be trying to um, assuage? And also, I, could she thread the needle and do both? I don't know where you find yourself like a tough on crime progressive. Right. But of course, the, the commission may choose to try to avoid all of that um, political uh, dodge a bullet by um, not presenting the governor with a list until after the election, which according to David's math. Um, David's <laughs> math is just math. Which, which apparently right. is the accurate math. It's just right. math. According to David's <laughs> math, right, they don't have to, the commission does not have to come up with a list until after the election. They could certainly fast track it, but they might say, look, it's going to be too political if we do it that way. So let's wait the full 120 days after the election. And then the governor doesn't have to worry about any of that nonsense. And maybe for the first time in a while, the governor can actually be concerned with who might be a really good judge on the Court of Appeals. I, I, you know, we should note that it is already being fast tracked, right? Because ordinarily the, the position is filled, the seats are filled because the person is retiring. And so you know that it's gonna be on December 31st. So you have really more than the 120 days. You have several months to prepare for this. Now with this happening relatively suddenly and not at the end of a year when you might expect it, um, th the whole process is in fact already more condensed. And that's why I would expect that we're not gonna see that, that the whole 120 days is gonna to need to be used I think desperately uh, need to be used. How it's a grueling is process. process. Also, though, because you know the thing is, everybody likes to say like, "Oh, you know, this is devoid of politics." And the reality is, this is like fiercely political. Wait, who do you and, know that says that? Well, no, people like to say like, "Oh, the judicial branch, the judicial branch by." You know, uh, in practice, for example, the Court of Appeals hates to get involved in cases where it is forced to make a decision um, when the legislature fights with itself, for example, like Pataki v. Silver, right? It was not thrilled that it had to get, had to get involved in that decision. I'm also dating myself because that's a really old case, but it was a significant case when it comes to like, budgeting power. Anyway, the point of the matter is um, how, you know, how much politicking is going on behind the scenes about this one we should be encouraged to put their name in and this one should not be encouraged to put their name in. And we would really like to have a tough on crime Latino from the Bronx who's 
parents were Colombian and whose blah, blah, blah. I mean, whatever it is that they're looking for in terms of constituency management, how political and micromanaged is the commission process? Well, diversity is part of the mandate of the commission now. And I must add that although the commission was just terribly partisan and terribly political, um, for a while at the very beginning, right, in the late 70s and thereon, once Chief Judge Kay retired and was made the chair of the commission, it became much, much less political mm. partisan. And she that? actually went out and she solicited and encouraged people to apply. Virtually nobody was applying. I remember that. I interviewed her about in. that. I remember? interviewed about her about that at NISPA in that little library off the great room. That's right. Uh, and, you know, even if you had a good commission, even if the commission uh, gave the governor some good names on the list, which the commission has been doing since at least since uh, Judith Kay was the chair, uh, that doesn't stop the governor from picking some lesser light that's on the list. I mean, we've had lists and we've had Caitlin Halligan on the list. We've had Aaron Peradotto on the list. We've had some other real heavyweights on the list. And Andrew Cuomo just overlooked them. He yeah, but she them. can't. But she can't deviate from the list. No, she can't. But I am sure. I guarantee you, the list that comes out, there will be some very, very strong names. And if you asked somebody off the record who wanted to be serious about it, who are the heavyweights on the list? they will be able to point them out. It was very, very clear the last several lists who the real heavyweights were that should have been named to the Court of Appeals, and they were not. Mm. So what we should, so our next focus should be, well, not our next focus, because I'm sure we'll actually, we'll talk before then, but when that list comes out, that's gonna be a real interesting conversation. It's gonna be a great conversation. Well, this has been a great conversation. Thank you both for talking to us about the Court of Appeals. There's a, uh, plenty of important issues that we're going to need to delve into over the next couple of months for the future of New York State's judicial system. Uh, I appreciate your insights and your time here on Miranda Warnings to talk about this important issue. And uh, thank you both. This has been Miranda Warnings, a New York State Bar Association podcast. You have the right to subscribe, rate, and review. 